Welcome back to the Amazon Private Label Show podcast. We have today another special guest for you in our series of interviewing people in and around the Amazon space. This time, we have Stephen Hollander, who runs pretty large Amazon wholesale business and has been in the game for uh, many, many years, five plus years, and has kind of seen Amazon evolve, progress, and really get a lot different from when he started. And so this is a little different from Private Label, but just like our first interview, he has a lot of unique perspective. It'll be super valuable to listen to and just kind of understand uh, how many ways you can you can sell on Amazon, how many ways you can build a business based on this platform. So enjoy this interview with Austin's finest, Stephen Hollander. All right, welcome back. We are with my guy, another brother here in Austin, Stephen Hollander. Uh, I've been close friends with Stephen here for months, maybe maybe going on a year now, and Stephen uh, has been into the been, been in the Amazon game a lot longer than I have. Stephen, we're going to get into all of that here in a second. Why don't you take uh, the people all the way back though? Where are you from? Kind of just a quick spark notes where you grew up and then went to school. Yeah, definitely. Um, also super excited to be here, man. Um, so I grew up in a suburb of Tampa, Florida, Clearwater, and had a pretty normal upbringing, I would yeah. say. Um, was super into playing sports and fitness and just business in general from a very, very young age. And um, ultimately went to college at Emory University in Atlanta. And um, once I graduated, I, I moved back home. And then soon after made, made the move to Austin. Okay. I love it. And so Steven, I know you guys listened to Sam last week, but Steven's a little different. Steven had the entrepreneurial gene, I would call it, uh, at least from what I've gathered. So you, you grew up, you went to school just like, like the rest of us. When did you know you weren't going to go through that path? Like when did, when did that burning desires start of, I want to create my own. I want to do this on my own. Even if, even though I'm getting a degree. Yeah. I was 12 or 13. Wow. And I think when you know, you know, right. And so were you like one of these people who was building businesses in middle school, high school, or did, did you kind of wait until you had uh, a little bit of adult years, a little bit of capital, maybe like when did, what was your first endeavor into this world? Yeah, um, I did start at a very young age. And for me, it wasn't even about making money. I just, it's what I thought was fun. Yeah. So it was just always trying to think of ways to make money. And, and for me, it was flipping items. Um, so I got, you know, items from thrift stores or garage sales, like what Gary V talks about. Yeah. Um, but I started to actually sell other products I was getting on commission um for other people as well and so it just kind of opened my eyes up to how big of an opportunity selling physical products is mm. and then how do i scale that and actually make something of it because obviously when i was 13 14 15 um <laughs> i wasn't doing volume <laughs> <laughs> right 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 okay so then you, you knew you were 
you knew you were in the game. Once you decide you're in the game, it's hard to it's it's hard to clock in, clock out, right? And so, did you have any jobs at all? Never, never. The only I job I, I I worked um, was for my old tennis coach James. Okay. And so I used to teach tennis lessons on the side for fun, but that's the only conventional quote unquote job Damn. that I've ever worked. You are true entrepreneurial thoroughbred. Just been <laughs> been born born for it. Okay, so then fast forwarding a little bit, you, you can create any business. Uh, we'll get into kind of the nuts and bolts and what your business looks like down the road. But what was your first sniff? What was what was your inclination? How did you hear about Amazon? Um, well, at the time I was selling on eBay. And mm. so this was, because uh, remember, I was really just flipping items. A lot of times they were used. Um, and so this this had to have been 2013, 2014, maybe. Uh, Amazon wasn't really as popular. And I think I heard about it for the first time because of FBA, right? And so FBA changed the game for a lot of people because they would ship the end consumer. So, um, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> how did you, you were selling on eBay. Basically the question is, how did you decide Amazon? Obviously you're all in now, but like where, where was the start of you're in the Amazon game? Um, so the start was retail arbitrage. Wow. That's kind of how I got okay. started. Um, sorry, I wasn't sure if you're asking how I heard of it or kind of what were the first products we sold. Yeah, either or. Um, but yeah, I just think there was this, this burning desire to create a successful business mm -hmm. and I was willing to do whatever it took. And so I tried a million different things. So I got into, uh, like KDP and selling, uh, books on Amazon. Um, like self-publishing, hiring ghostwriters to create these books on different niches. Oh, yeah. um, I got into uh, Amazon Merch, which was, at the time, back five, six, seven years ago, was really difficult to get approved for. Um, so I was really just dabbling in, in so many different things. I, I dove into Amazon Private Label. Um, I had my own e-commerce store. I was importing products from China at one point. So I was just, I was trying so many things and just trying to figure out A, what I liked and B, what I was good at. And eventually kind of came to the wholesale world. Okay. So your business today is 100% wholesale? 100% wholesale. Is that correct? Wholesale. Okay. Yeah. So what, you tried KDP, which is Kindle publishing for anyone who's not, not aware. Uh, you can make money a lot of different ways on Amazon, but you tried KDP, PL, OA obviously is just kind of a, a another form of wholesale without the direct relationships. What kind of what stuck out about wholesale and and what how'd you how'd you get your your foot in the door really? Yeah, well, I think it was just the realization, right? Because I was doing retail arbitrage for a while, um, and so I was going for those that don't know retail arbitrage. Essentially, you're buying something from Walmart, Target, wherever, and you're buying it for ten. It's selling well has a good sales rank on amazon that you can sell for let's say 25. and so you're looking for buy low sell high opportunities and that was great i was making some money doing that wasn't significant but um you then kind of realize okay if i just bought this blue widget from walmart for let's call it five dollars they're buying it from some other distributor and so i can go further down the supply chain and figure out where Walmart's buying from, 
And instead of buying five, which is all the local Clearwater Walmart had, I can buy a hundred or I can buy a pallet. Mm. And so that's kind of when I had the shift of like, okay, you know, I'm making $50 net on this SKU, $20 net here, putting all this stuff together in my parents' garage, sending it off to FBA. Um, this isn't scalable. This is a fun little hobby that I enjoyed, but, um, it was that kind of realization of like, okay, how do I figure out who these distributors are? How do I negotiate the deals? And how do I manage doing that time and time again? Got it. So how did you get your first deal? Like take people, a lot of people don't even understand like what to, to do wholesale. You can't just. I mean, you can try to go to go to these catalogs and such, but you, it's it's basically a relationship in the sales business. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, exactly true. And so, what was what was your first client, and how'd you get them? Not not what was their name? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Man, I'm trying to even remember. It's yeah. it's been so many years. Um, I I couldn't even tell you. I, I yeah. don't even know. Were you cold calling, like cold email, DM, like? So yeah, we did. We did a lot of cold email and then in the beginning i was just calling and following up on vendors that actually emailed us back and so it was like hey just saw you emailed me would love to ask you a few questions and see if we could potentially get a partnership here and for anyone listening as well i mean the the name of the game is really just figuring out products that are selling on amazon well which is very simple to do in the wholesale game um, which we can get into as well mm -hmm. and then getting them at the right price. And so the issue in the, where most people fall short in wholesale is, is getting the relationship and getting it at the right price. Mm. Okay. So private label, most people use helium 10 jungle scout product research tool. What are you using in wholesale? So we've built a lot of our own systems. Wow. So we get data from Keepa. Keepa has an yep. API. Um, and we basically are trying to figure out of the suppliers we have a, what items are selling well and which ones are consistently profitable because on the wholesale side, product prices are constantly fluctuating. And so just because the current buy box price is profitable, that doesn't mean anything for us, right? Like what's the average price that it's sold in the last 90 days, 180 days, whatever. Um, and so we're just basically compiling a bunch of data and trying to make decisions on that data and then placing somewhat conservative test orders and then basically saying, okay, for all the days that we were in stock and the SKU was eligible to be sold, how many units on average do we sell that day? And then reordering on that point. Mm. So going all the way back to the buy decision initially, how, like what, take me quickly through that process like yeah. how much scrutiny are you t kind of testing and then once you're in the game you 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 decide or how do you determine if it's a yay or nay on a buy so there, there's just there's so many factors yeah. right so we kind of have like a four-step process um the first is is the product a match to what we're actually looking at from the vendor so a lot of times, you know, you could like a UPC could mismatch. Mm. Um, let's say we're looking at a supplement from the supplier. It's 10 ounces on Amazon. It's 20 ounces. That type of stuff happens all the time. So before we can even move forward, we have to recognize is the item, the, is the ASIN 
that I'm looking at identical to what the supplier is offering? Mm. If it is, yes, move forward. So once you've kind of just covered that, we then look at profitability. So is the item consistently profitable? And Keepa is hands down the best tool for that. Um, the way they've managed to scrape Amazon and aggregate data is unbelievable. Um, and so, yeah, we're just looking at that and then we move forward. And so if it's consistently profitable, we want to understand, is it consistently selling well? And for that, there's a lot of things that we look at as well. I don't want to get into too much of the detail yeah. because, and I'm happy to, I just, I don't know how valuable it would be, but we have to look at is if there's a parent category, total reviews, like we try to understand, okay, is this widget, how many times is it selling a month? And the last step is, is there any concerns that we have with selling this product? So does it have a low review rating? Is it a hazmat? Um, is it glass? Is it potentially breakable? Like we sell some glass products and you know, we're just trying to understand like, is there anything on this listing that we should avoid? Um, and then we're just doing that time in and time again and trying to basically spend as much money on profitable everyday name brand wholesale household staple items. Yeah. The end of end of story on that, like we always emphasize, he's not guessing. He's not taking massive risks risks without knowing as much of the data as he possibly can. Um are there anything you, you mentioned hazmat glass. Are there product categories you completely avoid? I think each product category has its own pros and cons. Um we've sold some books before. Books is a very difficult category because Amazon's in stock on the vast majority of them. That being said, every now and then we still do find a skew here or there that works for us. Um, I wouldn't really say there's anything that we avoid because we've basically just built formulas, just call them algorithms, that help us understand which ones have a high likelihood of being a yes, and then we manually check those. Got it. What about... So buy box and for people who are listening and don't understand what the buy box is, especially private label sellers, private label sellers, you're pretty much one person on the buy box. The buy box isn't really an important metric. It's, it's not something you need to worry about wholesale. What, what Steve's doing is a lot of times Amazon listings have four five, six double digits on them. Right. And so is the, and you can also compete against Amazon. Is there, certain certain match like certain sellers you completely avoid will you mm, compete with amazon what's your view on that so that all comes down to repricing got it so we actually just recently built out um a whole new repricing system for our business and we don't avoid any particular seller sometimes we'll avoid amazon mm. and with keepa you can see what percent of the time Amazon's in the buy box for different time periods. So we'll look at that. And then we'll also look at like, okay, if Amazon's in the buy box at $16 and we try to sell a product at $15.90, how is Amazon going to respond? Mm. Are they going to go to $15.89 or are they going to go match us at $15.90? And you can see that by looking at the Keepa chart and trying to understand how Amazon's algorithm for that, because Amazon's pricing algorithm is different for each ASIN. At a high, a high aggregate level, we try to avoid Amazon. But there are times when 
we can compete with Amazon and beat them. There's this repricing strategy called the yo-yo strategy, which if you're familiar with a yo-yo, it essentially goes up and down. Are you familiar with this? No, not the, the, the yo-yo, oh, yes, of course, not yeah. the strategy. So, so the yo-yo repricing strategy is great against Amazon because what you're basically doing is you're getting into the buy box. Um, you're basically pricing, let's say, two pennies below Amazon. Mm. Get in the buy box. And then like a yo-yo, you go right back up. And so this works on, I would say, any ASIN where the average sales rank is under 10,000 because the product is just moving so fast that if we buy a couple hundred units, we're gonna sell through them. Um, and we do, our price doesn't need to always be competitive. So again, it's, it's really like you were saying too, it's all about understanding the data and trying to build systems around that. And that's what we're constantly doing. It's a, it's a big data game, especially with repricing and figuring out what to buy. Got it. So, all right, fast forward to, well, not fast forward, but let's talk about your business today and what it looks like. So how many, how many suppliers do you have? And then what's a, what's a typical order look like in terms of size and units? Yeah. So it totally depends. Um, so we have about 30 to 35 direct brand relationships, Got which it. I think for, for the listeners, we should uh, differentiate the, the two main types of wholesale, um, partners you can have. So you can either buy directly from brands or manufacturers, or you can buy from distributors. Distributors are essentially a collection of brands. They distribute 10 brands, 20, most of them distribute hundreds. And most distributors are also very kind of niche down. Like there's, you know, natural product distributors or toy distributors. And so they're, they're usually focused on a single category. Um, so, you know, we have 25 different distributors that we'll buy from, but really our core is five or six. Um, and it's really just a matter of what they're in stock on and, you know, what SKUs make sense for us. And do you ever list products anywhere other than Amazon? We do. Um, we have our own Shopify store. Mm. We have eBay. We actually recently turned off eBay because it wasn't really driving us results. And so I think in any business, you have to really understand what you do well and just do that one thing. Right. And that is so fucking difficult <laughs> because there's constantly opportunities thrown our way, other sales channels to sell on, new product categories, new distributors to work with. And I think what I'm really starting to learn as an entrepreneur is the more times I say no, the more money I make. It, it's, it's unbelievable, but um, most people, and I think that doesn't apply when you're just starting out. I think in the beginning, I said yes to literally any potential business opportunity. Um, but at this point, it's really about just saying no and, and getting really focused on what we do extremely well, which is understanding how, understanding different supply chains of how products go from the manufacturer to mm -hmm. the end consumer and buying those products. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point about this, the shiny object. It, once you're profitable and the cog is you're churning, you have to know that shiny object is a distraction. So if, if that shiny object, the expiration takes away 20% of your core, that's almost never going to be worth it. And so just 
it's kind of staying on that. How much of your time is dedicated to growth versus current operations? I think I spend 90% of my time thinking about how we grow. Yeah. And for that, it's really all about our data and all about our, our processes. Um, occasionally I'll double check purchase orders just to make sure everything's good or kind of second opinion. We call them second opinion ASINs, ASINs that we want to buy, but the buyer of that product wanted a second opinion. Mm. Um, hopefully that's counterintuitive. That's uh, straightforward. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say about 90% is, is dedicated to, to growth and systems. And then do you have warehousing yourself or everything direct to Amazon? So some of our suppliers will ship direct to FBA. Really? It's definitely not easy for that to be done. Yeah. And we've had to be very, very diligent in how we send them all the labels. Because I'm sure, as you know, like with box labels, when you print off 100 box labels, each of those box labels is a unique label tied to the products in that box. And so for a private label seller like yourself, I assume you're selling only a few SKUs. Mm -hmm. So it's relatively simple. For us, if we're buying, let's say yeah. 20 SKUs, well, which box label goes to which box? So we've built a system that will basically add red text and say, okay, this is this box label goes to this SKU with this many units. Um, but regardless, the you have it's so much trust in the supplier so we do that occasionally. Um, and then we have a 3PL, quote unquote, prep center that we use. Um, and we've built an unbelievable relationship with them. And um, yeah, I mean, they're a huge part of our business. We're going to actually visit them uh, in about two weeks. And what part of the country? Uh, they're in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, you know, in the Amazon world, you don't have to own your own warehouse. Um, and actually, I think... Again, going back to really staying focused on one thing, um, I think to build a massive Amazon business, it actually is counterintuitive to own a warehouse because then so much of your time goes to managing the operations around that and our per unit cost uh, to prep is so low with once you get to a certain level of volume. Um, that again, you have to focus on the highest revenue, highest profit driving activities, and that's not prepping products or managing warehouse employees or managing truck drivers. And um, we manage enough of that just dealing with uh, scheduling pickups from suppliers to our 3PL. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially now with Amazon making this push to basically be a logistics company too. So. Back in the day, it was hard. It was harder to fulfill your other orders from Amazon. Now that's like something they set up and encourage. So yeah. no matter where you sell, the cheapest route typically is going to be the Amazon fulfillment. And then you don't have it. It's it, it makes the complexity so much more realistic uh, for a newer newer seller. Yeah. But let's not get it twisted because uh, back in high school, and in college, I had so many truck deliveries uh, <laughs> arrived to my parents' garage. I'll have to show you videos after this, but um, or maybe we'll clip this up and, and put a video. But um, 
yeah, I could only imagine what our neighbors were thinking because there was a point where there was like weekly deliveries of pallets or products. And uh, I turned my parents' three-car garage into my own mini warehouse. Wow. Um, and so I was doing uh, a lot of the prepping. And I mean, I just... I loved I loved the process of, yeah. of just buying stuff and then I saw every unit and put the FNSKU on and printed my 2D barcodes myself. Um, There's no better way to learn the game than arbitrage. Oh, you definitely. Know? Yeah. So, all right. So you started out in, in the parents, taking over the parents' space, doing it all yourself. It looks a little different right now. What, how many full-time people do you have what is your what does your team look like so right now we have six full-time and i would say two part-time got it so our team is essentially um three full-time buyers mm. um someone to manage kind of operations dealing with purchase order issues someone to manage account health and just account related stuff um and myself and then two part-time developers that at certain points we've had kind of part-time devs come in and we've had full-time devs um and so yeah right now we've got two part-time and in terms of things like building an algorithm is that obviously that's that, my that, favorite part yeah i mean the the level just the way you're thinking during that process is probably bar none. You almost purely from dopamine. It's it's hard to it's hard to get back up there when you're managing day to day. How did you start that process? Did you do it in house? Were you working working with developers? A lot of questions, but just overall, <laughs> yeah. I've worked with a, a bunch of developers, yeah. um, and you know, I think understanding data well is an ongoing process. You're never done. I think once you accept that. Uh, it makes things easier because you kind of move away from wanting perfection mm. and it's just like, okay, what do I need right now or in the next six months that's going to help drive results? Um, but it's really just about, I look at it similar to the scientific method, mm. which is to say, okay, this is what I think is going to work. How do I implement that as fast as possible with a lot of urgency? And then how do I test that to see if it actually worked? So that's what we're constantly doing with, you know, our core distributors. Like I'll give you an example. We have, um, and, and the other thing to understand too, is that the best distributors are the hardest ones to find. Yeah. They're not on Google. They're not doing <laughs> AdSense. Um, a lot of them is just knowing the right people and connections. And a lot of the best distributors as well have terrible technology systems. Like we're talking, their their products, their product catalogs are on PDF files or they mail the catalog to you. And so there's no way to quote unquote automate that. Mm. And that's when we have to get really creative, but those become the best opportunities because nobody wants to do the hard work. So yeah, I think going back to building algorithms, um, that that's really what what fires me up uh just in terms of of really how you scale because it's all about thinking about how do i do this once you've figured out the game of, of whatever game you're playing it's just it's the way to scale and it, you can scale extremely fast 
once you build the correct algorithm. You ever think about licensing that out and getting into the SaaS game? So that way? We, we, we've tried. Yeah. Um, we tried. We had a tool mm. that we were using in-house. And um, I tried to spin it off into a SaaS product. It was a massive failure. <laughs> um, ended up uh, in a lawsuit oh, with beautiful. one of our developers. Uh, wonder if he, he'll ever see this. But um, <laughs> he essentially stole a lot of the code, never know. finished out the project fully. It was, it was a big mess. So... I think that was, again, another big lesson going back to what we talked about, which is just focusing on one thing that you do really well. And it was like kind of a shiny object of, mm -hmm. oh, I think I could do this. But being in the SaaS software business is so different than being in the retail business. And I'm extremely, uh, in a non-conceited way, good at the retail business because I've spent so many years. The SaaS business is terrible. I mean, right. I'd have to go back to, to day one, which if we wanted to do that, I'm sure we could. Um, so it's definitely been a thought, but I think for now we're hyper-focused on just one thing. <laughs> Speaking of that, though you are now, I know you have some PL experience, right? So explain your private label experience so, and kind of how that ended. Yeah, definitely. So when I, so going back, uh, was flipping items, I, the first idea I had was private label and that was after kind of, again, flipping items on eBay. So at the time I was 16 or 17 and there was a big product trend of hoverboards. Mm. Are you familiar with these? Of course. So I was importing those from China and reselling them out of my trunk off Craigslist. And so that was like my first quote unquote rendition of a, a private label, right? I, I guess it was technically wholesale, but like I had my own brand name. Um, and so I was flipping them and it was crazy. Um, when you get into a hot, hot product, like those or fidget spinners were popular at the time. Um, and I, I kind of look at those like trying to time a stock. Mm, if you course, do it yeah, well, yeah. That's amazing. If you're uh, at that point point one percent of the trend. It is yeah. so difficult. Um, and so then I, I started to think about, okay, well, how could we be different? And learned that the UK market is usually about six months behind the US. So the US, mm. I was kind of way too late to like make a big a big amount of money in. Um, I did make some, but I was like, right. again, it was peanuts in compared to the, the top guys in the US you know, selling several hundred units a day. So I ended up actually importing a container into the UK and selling through them on my own website. And that brought its own challenges because unlike Amazon, you have to get your own traffic. Um, that's the beauty of Amazon. So yeah, that, that was a, a big private label failure. And I think I learned a lot from that, which was like, number one, don't pick a trendy, right item like it's hard when you see the revenue and the keywords though exactly yeah, yeah. or if you're going to do it i mean know that it's a timed play of like okay fidget spinners are hot right now you know i'm going to buy 2000 units yeah label them hopefully try to get in and out the right price and then once i make x i'm out because i'm just going to honor the market and i got a little bit of luck 
um it's like picking stocks you know yeah it's just like seasonal products it's like a beginner shouldn't touch trends or seasonal but once you know if you're that sophisticated you can you can actually kill it there but you just know it's not an evergreen product so definitely yeah try starting there is is very difficult um okay my man so you're you're killing it right now you're all over amazon wholesale what's uh what's next for you in whether it be amazon or kind of grander scale where, where do you see this business going it's a big question that's a big one <laughs> it's open too yeah. but let's let's say in the next year to two yeah um i think scaling the team out a little bit more mm. um and really just being very focused with where my time goes mm. oftentimes i'll i enjoy being in the details and I think um, it holds us back, but I don't really know. That That's a question I'm kind of yeah. always thinking about, right? Like I love the game of business and I, I love being in the game. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of talked, we've talked about potentially buying other businesses right. or starting other things. Um, but, you know, we have a ton of room to grow on Amazon. So the game's not over. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe we will look more into software plays. Um, who knows? <laughs> I love it. I lo- yeah, definitely. Though you've been in the game for a while, you were the, this man is truly getting started, just getting started in, in this entrepreneurial world. Um, more towards the listener, someone who's just getting started or, or has a newer Amazon business. It can be any model PL. OA wholesale what would you say it's also a tough question but what would you if you could go back and talk to probably 17 year old Stephen at that point or maybe even younger what would you what common mistakes can you avoid if if you know Hmm. trying to think through a good answer that would apply to every business model I think I'll, I'll give some general business things I think Number one, become obsessed with what you're doing. Yeah. There, there's, you can't be half in. It's just not going to work, at least in my opinion. No. Um, Even with the pro- like products you choose, suppliers you have, like you, you, you commit to the game. Definitely. Or just the process of yeah. getting to the end outcome. I think you, I think so much of business is psychology, especially starting, because you're going to want to quit. I mean, all the cliche things mm-hmm. that, every big time entrepreneur says it's obviously true because the process of starting sucks you lose a lot of money um i mean we've done so many bad deals yeah (laughs) let's not get it twisted um i mean lost a lot of money just getting to where i am today but i think that's ultimately why we have built a successful amazon business got it um okay so first i want to thank you coming out here just before before we go and get to the last question um where can people find you i I know your business is a little different like you're not necessarily looking for brand new customers but if someone wants to just follow you get in touch with steven hollander where uh what's the best way probably instagram just at steven hollander um i'm not really active on on social (laughs) media or any of that um good reason yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, it, it's speaking of what's next. I mean, maybe it's it's part of something I, I do to 
just deliver more value and content to people of, of things I know. Um, we obviously all have a unique message that we can share and all things that we know well. So, yeah, I think Instagram's a shoot me a DM. I don't get many DMs, so uh, you have a high likelihood of, of having me see it at least. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming out. And one last question. So in terms of it's 2023, it's kind of a lot of people think it's a global recession is how do you view that as a business owner, as someone who's been in the game through a lot of ups and downs, do you react at all to market conditions or do you just head down consistent control what you can control? Yeah. Control, I control it's, it's day by day. Yeah. It hasn't affected me today. I'll wake up tomorrow and see if it affects me. I love it. You know, and I think that just goes back to product selection. Mm. So we sell so many different types of products that are just staples. We sell toothpaste. We sell everyday name brand supplements. We sell, you know, so many things that are just, you know, they're necessities. They're, they're yeah. commodities that everyone buys. And so regardless of where the markets go, I'm very confident that our business will still prosper because we also are constantly shifting our product mix. Mm. So if, you know, we sell a lot of discretionary spending items, we sell musical instruments and toys and games and stuff that maybe a household would purchase if they have the extra money and means to do so. But that being said, if one SKU starts to plummet, either it's not profitable anymore or it's not selling well, we don't reorder it. Mm. And so we just kind of shift because we have access to, I mean, millions and millions of SKUs of which obviously a very, very small percent work, but um, it's just this constant data game of trying to understand what is still selling. And I think the bigger question to ask is on Amazon, what are the, are, are opportunities going to go away mm. in a recession? I think that's the real question. And the question is, no, Amazon is still going to be a massive e-commerce platform where sellers are making big bucks. So maybe the product mix changes. People aren't going to buy, again, discretionary spend items. And that even includes, just to echo what you're saying, people would be less apt to buy on a random website, on a random Shopify store when it is a recession because they trust Amazon yeah. inherently and the traffic's there and they're already, it's two day prime and they're already in the game. They're already committed. And so, yeah, I think the future of Amazon is extremely strong. Yeah. I don't think resellers are going anywhere. Right. They've been around for hundreds of years. Look at Walmart. Just retail. Retail in general. Yeah. Um, people have needs that are met through products. And as long as that is held true, the, I mean, interesting question to ask yourself and for a beginner as well is just what products did you use today? Mm -hmm. And just start to write a list of what you used and what you bought. And it just kind of helps you understand like, okay, other businesses made money through this. Like, I hope you brushed your teeth today. Mm -hmm. Where'd you get that toothpaste? Oh, you bought it from Whole Foods right? or you bought it from the grocery store. Great. Where did they get that item from? How much did they pay? And how much did you pay? Oh, they made a few dollars? Great. Like that, that's how the retail world works. Like it's, 
I think a lot of people overcomplicate it. At the end of the day, it's it's really a very very simple business. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, make sure sell the fee, high. yeah, make sure your math is accurate. Make sure the math is accurate is is very good advice. Um, and in the, in the PL world, it's it's very simple to do so. Like mm-hmm. there are so many resources out there um, for new sellers as well. Like when I got started, there really wasn't any of this. Um, yeah, you're all the way back from the wild, wild west days. Yeah. Man. So my first sale on Amazon was probably 2016, 20, yeah. Wow. 2016, um, which is what, seven years ago. Um, isn't that much time, but regardless, um, there was, I mean, amazing selling machine was kind of the number one course at the time. Um, but yeah, even still like nowadays you just Google something. Yeah. And if you want something bad enough, you'll get it. <laughs> like, it, it's really just a mindset, at least of, of how I look at it. Um, and that's kind of how I went into the game of entrepreneurship. And, you know, my goals have obviously changed and they're constantly changing. But, um, yeah, I think Amazon's not going anywhere. It's, uh, and I think the other thing too that, the other misconception is a lot of people think that Amazon will just take your products or that Amazon retail, um, cause that's a huge thing in wholesale. Yeah. Amazon's going to take over your business and yes, Amazon does beat us on certain ASINs. They won't do multi-packs. I mean, very, very rarely, they won't do bundles. We'll just pivot and do something else. Yeah. There's so many opportunities. And the other thing that's not talked about enough is when I sell a product on Amazon, Amazon makes 15%. Right. 90% of the time. Some product categories are obviously less. Video games is 12%. Some grocery items are 8%. But regardless, that margin is higher oftentimes oh, yeah. than what the wholesale margin would be. And, oh, by the way, they don't have to have the capital to buy that item. And the R&D. And, and honestly if one thing were to ever take amazon down it would be a monopolistic lawsuit you know and so they have to be very careful that they're not breaking into too many markets because then the government could come in and so if you are thinking amazon's you are a new seller and that's your worry just there's bigger problems start making money amazon's not coming after you is what i would say yeah, I would just say just start. Yeah. I mean, just start the process. I think everyone's looking for the right product, especially in the private label space. Mm-hmm. But I think the faster that you can, like we were talking about with the algorithm, the faster you can use the scientific method to say, okay, I'm going to put $1,000 into this product. Let's see what happens. Um, define a budget that you're comfortable with and invest it, lose money. And learn some lessons and don't make those same mistakes the next time. Yeah. And I I think we also the 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 good side is we have so many resources available. Um the downside of that is there's information overload, which most people then don't take action. So I think it's a balance of trying to learn as much as you can, but also just learning from your actual mistakes. Yeah. Stephen Hollander, thank you for coming on. Definitely gonna have you back because we're just getting started today but uh appreciate you brother yeah this is awesome yeah thanks for having me of course like he said 
Hit him up on IG. One more time, your handle. Uh, at Stephen Hollander. My man. Killer in the Amazon space. Reach out to him with questions or just follow him. Uh, we will definitely have Stephen on again. Thanks again. Cool.